Hi, welcome back to Video Drone. This is episode nine. Um, mm -hmm. This week we're going to have a look at Race with the Devil. Yeah. Straight to the drive-in to see that one. Uh, we're going to have a look at Josh Trank's Chronicle. Mm -hmm. And also, bringing up the rear, uh, quite a modern one for us, although Chronicle's quite modern as well. Uh, the Voices. Yep. With man of the moment, Ryan Reynolds. Indeed. Because at the moment, as we're recording this, Deadpool's just killing it at the pitches. It certainly is. You've been the pitches recently, Craig? I haven't. You haven't. Still, <laughs> even though I said at the last podcast I was going to, I'm actually hoping to see Deadpool soon. I might, I'm off this week, so maybe I'll finally get to go. Yeah. Well, I've been doing all the westerns. I managed to see Hateful Eight, Revenant, and Bone Tomahawk. And Bone Tomahawk's just the grimmest film I've seen at the pitches in a long well. time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and let's let's point out the fact that Fraser's has seen some pretty grim. No, I've been seeing some pretty grim movies <laughs> in my time, but to actually see some on the big screen as grim as that, yeah, it was great. But uh, I think we'll just crack on with this podcast, do you reckon? Indeed, yeah. So All first right. up, race with the devil. Race with the devil, it is. Let's go. So, 1975, Race mm -hmm. with the Devil, directed by Jack Starrett. We'll get back to him in a minute. <laughs> um, starring Peter Fonda, Warren Oates, Loretta Swit, and Laura Parker. Now, initially when me and Craig were talking about this, you'd never seen it before. I haven't, no. I was, yeah, I was convinced it was a Roger Corman movie, but actually it's a low-budget studio movie. I can see why you would think that. Yeah, well, as soon as you see Peter Fonda in, on bikes, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. You think, oh, Corman's involved. But uh, it is a sort of low-budget drive-in movie. Um, very much of its time, uh, devil worship was massive in the seventies. Evidently, yeah. Satanism and whatnot. And so. we should uh, point out also the reason that we came to this is if you've listened to our previous episode, you know we talked about the Burbs. Yeah, there's a scene in the Burbs that features the film, and you know part of the suspicion in the Burbs is that the family might be a cult. Yeah. So in and we got on talking about it in the last episode, and Fraser was like, "Have you never seen that before?" And I was like, "No," and he's like, "We've got to sort that out." <laughs> so here we are. So I've got. A Cracking, well, it's, it's an old, revealed. Yeah, it's an old one now, but it's an old Region 1 Anchor Bay edition with commentaries and all sorts mm -hmm. of bits and bobs on it. I don't know if you got around to watching them, Craig, but I, I, had, a, I had a bit of a dip, actually. Oh, but um, basically the plot is Peter Fonda's a, a sort of speedway racer, mm -hmm. Warren Oates is a sort of garage mechanic owner mm -hmm. of, of the sort yeah. of team, as it were. Did he, own the, did he co-own the business? Because I think so, they yeah. they talk about building it up and, like, we did it, you know. Yeah, We've, well... We built it up over the last few years, me and you. Yeah, well, Peter so. Fonda's the sort of star racer, but basically them and the sort of wife-stroke girlfriends just go on a holiday mm -hmm. uh, in a big RV. And so they set out to have the best damn vacation ever. Yeah, in Texas, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they go out in into the wilds of Texas and basically they just stumble upon, upon a sort of satanic sacrifice yeah. in the middle of nowhere and then mm -hmm. basically the rest of the film is quite literally a race to get away from the mad satanists yeah that's a very, that's very concise, concise summary yeah. so it's funny because when I was watching this I was thinking of very much with the RV and things like that The Hills of Eyes yeah. which mm -hmm. came out a couple of years later so I that's don't know right, if this yeah. was an influence on that movie probably not but uh, maybe it was um, for me it's a nostalgia film I remember catching up on the mm -hmm on the TV years ago in the 80s and just think oh, this is the best thing ever mm -hmm. when you watch it now 
it's a good film, but it's pretty creaky in parts, yeah. and it's it's sort of TV movieish in some respects. Yeah, it does it does feel a bit sort of TV movieish, but it it does have some uh, some pretty standout stuff in it in some places. Um, it's always I've wanted to see this film quite some time. It's it it's always interesting, isn't it, when you've you've not you've not seen something um, before, but you've heard a lot about it, yeah, and then. I like don't get us wrong. It hasn't been spoiled for us. Nobody's really t- talked specifically about any scenes. I just it's no. just something that comes up in lists of cult films, and I've seen the poster before and that sort of thing. And I but I didn't really have any real expectations as to what it would be like. Uh huh. Um, and that made for an interesting viewing experience. Yeah. And this is weird to think, but it was a PG. That's exactly it. Yeah. I'm not sure what the rating was over it here. It was double A over here, which is equivalent yes, to a actually, 15 now. Yeah. yeah. It would be I think probably still is a 15 if it's been released on their DVD over here, but yeah. it's kind of like but Yeah, PG and it's you know, yes, it's not the most bloody film. It's you no know, I can't think of any bits of actual blood in it or like any real like sort of in your face violence. But the consequences of what's happening in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the tone of it. It's like you know the and there's actually um, although there is quite a lot of female nudity in the actual sacrifice scene. It's kind of blurred over, isn't it? It's, yeah, well, it is. some of it is and some of it isn't. Yeah, that's the there funny is. Thing. Yeah, because uh-huh. the sort of the, the girls that you can see from the sort of back and side aren't, but then the one that's like would be frontal nudity yeah. is blurred, like kind By of the visually flames. Yeah, yeah. So, but even even that in a PG, it's like you know, it's not what I expected to see. But um, but I mean, there's no out and out violence like gore. No, there's a few sort of bullet hits and whatnot, yeah. but nothing. It's not nothing with his bits flying off somebody. For a Warren Oates film, there's no Sam Peckinpah sort of blood yeah. spurting and Because in a lot of Warren Oates movies, you yeah. see, you see like uh, Espe- quite a bit. Yeah, of especially as Peckinpah films and whatnot. Mm. Yeah, but uh, I mean, Peter Fond is always good value for money, as is Warren Oates, and right, I swear, everybody knows from Mash. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of, I mean, I don't know about then, but now it's very the, the films sort of obvious what's going to happen well they take a little dog with them and it's like do you think that dog's going to see the end of the film <laughs> it's like there's little sort of stereotypes like that, that are... true but there's also a few things that uh, the film does that a lot of horror films also don't which I quite liked the fact that the heroes and heroines are quite resourceful and they get things done and you know and it's like when things really start to turn south and it gets quite action packed and they're being pursued mm-hmm. You know, they actually give as good as they get. <laughs> they just go to a shop and start buying shotguns and stuff. It's yeah. just like, I'm not taking any of this anymore. I mean, first of all, like the female characters, you know, the two wives, they're quite resourceful. They go and, they go and, because there's, there's a scene where they have a threatening note attached to the RV. It's a rune, isn't which it? Which has yeah. a rune on it. Yeah. And it explains that whatever evil that um, that they do will be returned to them ninefold. Mm-hmm. And it has this like rune symbol on it. And so they go to a library and research like, a book of the occult and find out about runes and that. Yeah. So, you know, they're not like just willing to sit here as helpless victims, you know. Uh-huh. And when uh, Peter, Peter Fond gets a good shotgun, this hand, he causes some damage. He does, yeah. <laughs> and some of the stunts in the film are great. I mean, some good car topples, you know, pre-CGI. Yeah. It's proper 70s There's a stunt brilliant, thing. like, uh, car spin where it just keeps on going. Yeah. Oh, That's right, yeah. awesome. It is, it is. I mean, it's sort of, it's funny and there's a lot of the attacks... Not all at night as well as it's just broad mm-hmm. daylight stuff. It's great. Yeah, see, this is what I was talking about. When I was talking about it goes against some horror stables. Yeah, a lot of the all the finale is all during the day with them being terrorized by the cult. Like, yeah, you know when when they're being chased at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. it's, it's all broad daylight and it's all like it sort of um, it treads the sort of line between like um, between like thriller and horror movie and action film mm-hmm. because of the fact they're being relentlessly pursued and they're having to sort of fight back. Yeah. 
at the end it kind of goes a bit like um you know sort of uh kind of shifts in high gear and becomes quite action-packed definitely it. yeah which is what films did then really sort yeah. of build up build up it's got a nice sense of pacing and building you know you get a bit of relief from them being terrorized like in acts almost well as most films are sort of in different acts like yeah, yeah and there's some scenes that do quite a lot with very little like mm-hmm. the scene where the two wives go swimming and there's just everyone's looking at them. It, it would appear that everybody's staring at them and they're all proper character fa- characterful faces, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's like an old woman who's just as leery as the old man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even arguably creepier than but the old man. But you do get like a sense of, and especially like, you know, how many horror films or backwards mm. movies set in Texas, and you know, you just get that funny feel, but like everybody else seems to be playing around, yeah. having a great time, but they've just got the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, going back to the, uh, it's sort of defying horror staples, um, the cops take them to the uh, to the campsite where they were when they witnessed the murder. Yeah. And there's evidence that the cult were there. Yeah. And that is something... It's that, not like something that's like totally swept yeah, clean, yeah. Yeah, because like, you know, you do get a lot of films where like, the, the characters who aren't believed, they go to the cops and they're like, well, you know, you sure you... I mean, they do... We must point out that they do like accuse them of maybe drinking a bit too much. Yeah. Um, and there are plot reasons for a lot of things that happen mm-hmm. that kind of defy convention, which we won't get to. No, no, spoiler. yeah, exactly. But it's still kind of refreshing because I've watched so many of those films where they're like, are you sure you didn't, didn't just imagine this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the cops do actually say they picked up some of these people before and they were like, they were killing cats and sacrificing yeah, them like and the, stuff. the hippies had moved in sort of thing, yeah. yeah. And they're like, well, I think they're a bit different to hippies and he's like, well... <laughs> I yeah. think you find they're all the same. Yeah, <laughs> nice, but I mean, nice bit of uh, redneck uh, racism. I mean, the more I talk about it, the more I'm enjoying it again. But I didn't enjoy it as much as I did when I was mm. younger. That's that's for sure. But what I did find out, obviously, watching the film was well, not racism, but closed mindedness. I should say. No, no, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jack Starrett, the director, um, is actually in the movie. And then when I saw him, I was like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, now I know who he is. So if anybody's seen um, Sylvester Stallone's First Blood, he plays Galt. Right, the badass no. cop who right. ends up in the hospital uh, in the helicopter. Sorry, trying to take pot shots at Rambo. You know, what? it's really interesting that you mentioned that because, like, I didn't until I was reading the credits. I didn't realize that that was Jack Starrett. I know him as a director, as his work and what he's done, but I haven't yeah. actually seen him. Um, but I did recognize what he looked like. I didn't realize he was the director until I read the credits. But yeah. I was like, he's been in something I've seen. Yeah, but I could not place what uh, it was. First Blood, yeah. Nice, and he's, he's the, the badass who's just like horrible to Rambo at the start, mm-hmm. like more so than um, yeah, uh, what's McCollum's character? Uh-huh. Uh huh. More so than Brian Dennehy. Brian Dennehy, yeah, more so than him. He's he's the horrible one with the mustache who mm-hmm. ultimately falls out of the helicopter. But uh, he had a quite a varied career. He made a lot of Hell's. Well, he was in a lot of Hell's Angels films. I think mm-hmm. usually as the sort of oppressive policeman, from what I can gather. But yeah. he did direct one of my all-time favorites, which is The Losers. Mm. Um, have you seen the losers? Yes. Yeah. In it's... fact, not long after um, I met Fraser, because uh, we work in the same place. Oh yeah. He gave us a DVD, our copy of it, and, I, and he was like, "You've got to see this film <laughs> if you've never seen it before." And it, and it is something of the whole funny film. It's it's <laughs> most people have seen clips of it in Pulp Fiction. It's that crazy biker movie that's on the yeah. TV in the background. Vietnam biker movie, but let's not try and get too much into that. Yeah, but I know. Put it this way: if you like biker movies, crazy seventies films, uh, you should check it out. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, so he had a varied career in the certainly in the seventies, and then mm-hmm. obviously went on to a lot of TV work and stuff like that. So, uh, but he did die quite quite young, unfortunately. So, for a driving witchcraft movie, I don't think you can go wrong, really. Yeah, I mean it's. Like you mentioned it being a bit like a TV movie, some bits are a bit flatly directed. Um, yeah. They rack up the tension with a lot of like 
sort of more close-up camera work and bits of people screaming and flailing about in the RV when mm-hmm. it's getting rocked about and that towards the end. It gets a bit more... There's a bit more flair to it, I would say, like in some of the more sort of like uh, creepy and action-packed scenes. Yeah. Um, but some of it does kind of feel like it could be like an afternoon sort of TV movie, like um, before the sort of horror element kicks in. It's but what, it kind of looks a bit flat in some ways. Something that just crossed my mind there. Something that does set it apart is the credit sequence at the start. Mm. It's almost like it's a prop. It's not doesn't just doesn't come up. It's like graphics and stuff and all yeah. you know it's great it's different not what you'd expect for, the for a low budget film yeah and for the era as well yeah mm. definitely and it's sort of almost it's the image of the tree yeah um, that you see when, when the girl gets sacrificed they're having this fire in front of this cre- well, call it as a creepy looking tree really exactly um yeah, yeah so i mean it's i it it does add up uh, it delivers overall. It basically deliver. um and it's just kind of like yeah uh, like we said you know pacing's good and it sort of rattles along nicely and the finale is pretty damn cool actually i mean i was really surprised by just how good some of the sort of action and stunts were the um i love that bit where uh, peter fonda gets up on the top of the rv to, to get the guy off who's um like putting a petrol bag yeah trying to set it on fire, thing. Yeah. and then he actually gets the petrol bag chucks it back at them and blows up the cars yeah. for them. It's like, <laughs> yeah, to use, that's, yeah that's an inventive uh, use of resources that. and that's what i was talking about you know the, the characters aren't helpless in it the he kicks some ass when they yeah. get into it. Which again, it sort of leads us back to Hills of Eyes, you know, yeah. that sort of like can turning do. The yeah, turning the tables on, on them. them. Um, but it's just, it's one of those films, like every corner they turn, it's like they're just sort of the two characters, the lead characters, Warren Oates and Peter Fonda, it's like this can't be happening, that's wrong. And just, it just seems like these Satanists are all over the, the shop. Yeah. It's great. I love that like feel of the film. Yes. Like a zombie film in some or, respects. Or maybe even the body snatchers, like you just yeah. can't escape them, they're yeah. everywhere. And even when you think you're safe, you're not. Yeah. And it's um, it gets very much into that towards the end, you know, like you say, wherever they go, they're there waiting for the minutes. And it's um, there's quite a lot of discussion from the characters as to what's happening, and they're quite, you know, the the reasoning and deducting everything that's happening and explaining it like, and it's kind of um, you don't get that so much in those types of films. The, As the, in the, the characters could communicate with each other yeah. and tell each other what's going on. Even at the beginning, they tell the wives somebody's been killed it was like a ritual sacrifice we've got to get out of here and in loads of movies they would be like right we're not saying explain we're just going no, to drive he's just like turn that light off um, let's get yeah. the hell out of here I mean, basically what you could say is the characters are, if they were in the cabin in the woods they wouldn't be going down the cellar they're going exactly. no way they'd run out the front door <laughs> and that is quite refreshing yeah, in some ways I mean we're not saying that every every horror movie does these things but no. you know there are a lot of them and there's there's a scene where they're like right you know, they, they they start to suspect that there's some characters who they've met who were in on it. Yeah. And they start to like talk about the fact that we can't trust them and stuff like that. And there's a lot of these things that wouldn't necessarily be in a, a sort of similar movie, which I, which I found kind of refreshing. And mm-hmm. I, I like that about it. We should talk about the posters for this film as well. It's got some awesome um, 70s posters, yeah. lovely art. But what did they do for the Anchor Bay DVD cover? Oh, that's They used just the a worst. horrible photoshopped mess. Yeah. And that's got to be one of the... It's a Region 1 DVD from Anchor Bay. It's yeah. got to be one of the worst covers I've ever seen. Isn't it? And especially when inside, they've actually got a, a picture of the American... Yeah. Um, sorry, the UK quad, which actually, that reminds me of Rolling Thunder. That's a video game. Sorry about that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's just like... That's a cool poster. Um, it is. It's a proper Grindhouse-style yeah, poster. Yeah, it's exactly what... awesome. I think it's like... But it's uh, it's kind of um, 
why would you put that on the inside as like a yeah. sort of chapter selection card and would not put it on the cover? That's the, the cover is just horrible, it's just, isn't it's it? It's inexcusable. I mean, I would assume that when they buy the rights to a movie to release it on DVD, they would get access to the promotional well, materials. On here, there's all the posters. The poster yeah. in Steel Gallery, there's got, exactly. everything's on so this DVD. So they must DVD. have the rights to use it if they appear on the DVD. So why and I mean, would you not put it on the cover? Peter Fonda loved the movie, and you find out why, because he had he had uh, points on the back end of it, so every time it gets re-released or whatever, he's going to make money off it. So oh, you'd right. think he'd be like, there you go. But some, it's a nice little DVD, but uh, shame about the packaging. But uh, yeah. I think we're giving this one a thumbs up. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, now moving on to Chronicle. The 2012 found footage movie directed by Josh Trank, mm-hmm. who's a bit more infamous at the moment for doing the reboot of Fantastic Four. Yeah, also <laughs> written by Max Landis. Yeah. Craig, tell us what it's about. Right, well, Andrew, Matt and Steve are three high school students who make a stunning discovery. After coming into contact with a strange artefact in a cave, they all discover that they are capable of things mankind had previously only dreamt about. But just what are the limits of their power and what might the cost of it be? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so... Obviously, with it being called Chronicle and being a found footage film, it mm-hmm. starts off with the uh, lead char- character of Andrew mm-hmm. um, getting hold of a well, he bought a, a camcorder, yeah, and he's quite. It's like it's sort of sad for his lead character. He's sort of in a domestic uh, abuse situation yeah. with his father, mm-hmm. um, and he's. I don't know if he's going to use it as evidence or something like that. Possibly, but yeah, possibly. It but, kind of uh, implies that at the beginning because he actually tells him, "I'm filming this." Yeah. By the way, and he seems to sort of be a bit of a loner at uh, at school, and he just films everything, uh, and that's how it starts out. And then he gets invited to a party by his cousin, mm-hmm. and then this party's Matt. out. Yeah, Matt, he's out in the sticks at this party, mm-hmm. and this other character gets introduced, Stephen, who's sort mm-hmm. of like. The jock sort of thing, yeah, almost. He's, yeah, he's, he's like, probably the most popular kid in school. Yeah, he's, he's, he's up running for class uh, or school president or whatever. That's right, yeah, yeah. Student president. And they obviously know who he is, but they don't really know him, know him as a friend until all, until all all this all these things happen. Yeah. So at this party, well, they're out in the in the middle of nowhere, but somebody's found this sinkhole, and mm-hmm. the three of them go down and, and find this. Leads very deep underground scene yeah it? yeah they, they keep going down and down and it's like oh we shouldn't be doing this but they've, they've had a few beers and, and Andrew's really protests that he's he does, uh, yeah. not wanting to do it but they, they end up going down there anyway and there's this strange glow and they get imbued with superpowers basically, basically yeah. yeah I mean once this uh, glow starts to emit the camera starts to mess up and then they all fall unconscious and start to bleed uh, but I thought upon... that was my DVD breaking up <laughs> Yeah, it goes all pixely. Yeah, it does, yeah. I hate fan footage films for that, especially the modern ones, anyway. Uh, but upon uh, upon waking up, um, the as you say, discover their imbued with superpowers. And yeah. I like the way the film doesn't hit you over the head with the explanation, it just shows you what they can do. Yeah. The very next scene, it goes for the sort of old uh, creative writing mantra of show, don't tell. Yeah. And you see them throwing baseballs at each other and, and then stopping them. them with the power of the mind. Yeah. But it's the effects are quite... Very good. I mean, it's a low-budget film. Mm. Um, and I mean it's funny because I know it's a Fox film but I thought it might have been like a Fox searchlight where they bought it in but they Possibly. must have put some money into it but yeah. not not too much maybe uh, it's still quite low budget obviously mm-hmm. everybody involved at the time was sort of mm-hmm. not really nobody really that famous in it sure obviously Dane DeHaan who plays uh, Andrew's gone on to better things mm-hmm. uh, Michael B. Jordan's got solid TV career yeah he was in The Wire wasn't he yeah um, 
show you totally. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, he was, <laughs> yeah. Craig prompted us on that one. <laughs> um, and obviously the, the script was co-written with a director by Max Landis, who's John Landis's son. Mm-hmm. I think he went on recently to do that, Victor Frankenstein with um, mm. Harry Potter in it. Yeah. Uh, which I haven't seen. No, I haven't seen it. Never either. heard anything good about it, to be honest. <laughs> but um, Yeah, so it's got so, solid sort of pedigree there. And going back to the effects for one second, I, yeah. like, I like the way that uh, they use digital effects well. They do. Because I really, really hate um, sort of overuse of CGI in modern films. Mm-hmm. And as we've discussed on the podcast we before, have, yeah. we, re- we really like our practical effects. But the digital effects are kind of uh, understated and like wonderfully done in this film. Definitely, definitely. Um, it's, it's, it's a funny film because I remember watching it first time and I was totally blown away about it, mm-hmm. by it. Um, and then Craig, you came across it in the... Uh, in the, the bargain bin. Oh, the, I know you originally well, saw yeah. it at the cinema, but recently you said, "Oh, I found it for a pound at the Poundland." I'm like, brilliant. Give us a copy. <laughs> yeah. um, now this does yeah, it was have good, good uh, buy for a pound. Two versions of the film on the disc, but I only watched the theatrical version. Yeah, I've watched I was... the extended version. I wanted to rewatch the theatrical one first. Anyway, yeah, so that's what we what we're reviewing really. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. A lot of these modern extended editions don't really have a lot to them. To be honest with you, I don't think we're probably missing very much. Nah. Um, but uh, going back to uh, you know the sort of uh, plot and everything, nothing's really explained as to the origin of the thing in the cave or in the hole. No, um, we and don't really know exactly what it is. They we go need... back to find out more, but, but it's the... all filled yeah, in. Yeah, it's it? all filled. Well, it seems to have caved in on itself, and then there's like law enforcement are there saying what you're doing here. Mm-hmm. And but that's as far as it goes. They don't exactly. Really... I mean, I don't know if it's like it's a plot hole because surely there'd be something in the newspaper or something like that, but. Mm. Um, well, with it being POV, though, with it being like his point of view, you know, if he doesn't record or sh- or show you a bit where they look in the newspaper, how true, you know? True, true. <laughs> yeah, it's a, they can get away with that. Uh, yeah, I, guess I suppose can. it keeps the, the, the sort of the plot moving mm-hmm. along rather than getting sidetracked. And it is a low budget film, so they've got to do what they've got to do. And um, you know, rewinding what we're talking about uh, about them showing rather than uh, sort of hitting you over the head with the fact that they've got these powers, you get all these scenes where they're messing about and kind of like you know. Doing things like playing pranks on people with the powers and like testing them in like amusing ways. Oh yeah, uh-huh. like Fraser mentioned earlier before we we're doing the um, we before we we're recording, it's almost like a jackass with superpowers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> they 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 repark this woman's car when she goes into a shop, and uh-huh. then she's coming back looking for it, and they kill themselves laughing and trying not to. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. But they can't help like uh, sort of being a bit cocky about it. No. And the woman's a bit sort of suspicious, glancing over. There's also a great bit where they terrorise a kid with a with a teddy bear by There's making it float. Float, yeah. And sort of chasing her with it. Uh, and loads of other stuff. But um, they, they start out small by building Lego and various other things. And then it starts to get bigger and bigger. And yeah. they, they theorise that maybe the more you use it, it's like a muscle. Flexing it makes it more powerful. And um, before you know it, they're capable of really extraordinary stuff. Yeah. And sort of a bit nasty stuff. Like when yeah. The first time sort of, Andrew really starts showing his powers as he actually makes a car go off a road, doesn't he? Mm. And that's when that's sort of where the film turns into the more yeah, the, the sort of it goes from the fun stuff as quite doing sort of well, horror sci-fi. Films. And we decide we've got to make rules. Yeah, we can't just go messing about with this stuff because yeah. people could get seriously hurt or worse. Absolutely. Um, and that's where the film starts, takes a bit of a darker turn. Cause as we've mentioned, Andrew's quite a disaffected youth you know he's he's pretty he's got but he's in a bad situation at home we yeah. haven't mentioned i don't think that his mother's quite unwell that's true yeah um she seems to be terminally ill mm-hmm. and um they're really struggling with money and stuff mm-hmm. 
Uh, and this medicine that she needs is really expensive. That's right, yeah. And you can probably guess where that goes. Oh, yeah, exactly, with the, with his powers, etc. Yeah. Um, sorry, crazy. No, I was just going to say, I mean, this sort of... Later on in the film, you can definitely see the influence of Akira. Mm. Would you say? I would say so, because, you know... It, when uh, Andrew's uh, there's a scene where Andrew is hospitalised and he's and after like, you see him in this hospital smock using his powers destroying stuff yeah it did the, kind of all recall the bandages and, and the sort of yeah well, the sort of telekinesis that just it did totally, recall that yeah, a little bit yeah definitely must have been an influence on the film possibly I mean it's got brilliant pacing for it's like eighty odd oh, minutes it's a long. rapid it's a short that's a great thing these days it a really short is. film yeah yeah because you know how many uh, films have you seen at the cinema which are fundamentally at the core a pretty good film mm-hmm. they've got great scenes and great actors great cast well made good story and everything but they've got so much padding in them <laughs> that it destroys the flow of the film yeah. and I can think of loads of like cases of you know big movies that should have been a lot better than they were if they were edited a bit more tightly that's what yeah, you read that time and time again when you read reviews these you certainly days. do although I did enjoy the hateful eight so mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to get around to that one. Yeah, but yeah, um, it it is really well paced and it fits in a huge amount of plot and character development. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's a single bit the film could really do without. Uh, nothing's really wasted in it. No, and I mean it's fair to say that um, there's been a glut, and there's probably still is more more to come of these fan footage. Mm. Like sort of usually I'm in the horror, horror genre, films, but yeah, it's usually horror. Sometimes films. sci-fi horror stuff, but and there's some really terrible. Ones nine times out, out of ten, I'll just bypass them. But I'm yeah. really glad. I, I did obviously heard good things about Chronicle, mm-hmm. and it's definitely up there. Was it your first view and watching it on Blu-ray, or was it? Uh, no, I, I'd watched it a couple of years ago. I thought you'd mentioned yeah, it. Yeah, I had. Before, yeah. I had seen it. Okay, and I'm always a bit more critical second time round. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just I couldn't. This time I couldn't really get away with the character of Andrew. Mm. Um, I suppose there was nothing particular. Okay, he was in a bad situation, but there was nothing redeeming about him. But maybe that's, yeah. well, that's what I know. Wanted. What you mean? I mean, I think that sets up is, the cousin nicely, though. You can be sympathetic towards him, but not necessarily uh, like him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when he starts to go down a very dark path and do bad things to try and help his mother and and for other reasons as yeah, well, yeah. Uh-huh. you you can have sympathy for that. But really, what he does is pretty monstrous. By the yeah, end yeah, of the film. yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I, you can see by the end of the film, it goes. From what what seems like a very small film at the start to a big epic, uh, film yeah, at the and end. you can see how the, the director got the job for a, a Marvel superhero film. Off oh it. yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. And again, for a low budget film, it's, mm-hmm. it is. You mentioned Cloverfield before. Yes, it's got that sort mm-hmm. of a feel to it, hasn't it? It definitely uh, does. Um, the finale reminds me a little bit of Cloverfield because there's a point of view bit where um, a car is being lifted up with the characters in it, and they they've got they've got the camera on them, and they're yeah. sort of filming it from the inside. And the car gets flung towards the building really quickly, and it reminds me of the helicopter bit in Cloverfield, where the helicopter's crashing and somebody's got a camera on board. And it's another problem that you find with fan footage films is mm-hmm. that they sort of they tend to sort of forget halfway through. Yes. And it, there, this film is is in no way sort of um, all clean on the, on that because mm. they, they start using different cameras as mm-hmm. uh, CCTV footage used. It becomes difficult to justify the constant use of the camera. Exactly, yeah. In a lot of these films, which Cloverfield really suffered from. Yeah, uh-huh. But in this, they do get away with it for a lot I longer would, than most. 80-odd, 90% of the film, yeah, yeah. definitely. It's definitely. just the And by the end, it's so big, it's like, yeah, how could yeah. you? Yeah, because like you say, they use CCTV and police-mounted cameras uh-huh. on, like, you know, the SWAT or whoever it is. Yeah. Um... But that's a minor criticism. Oh, it the is, finale's yeah. pretty good. Uh-huh. I mean, it does go like very much out there and become more like a sort of you know epic towards the end. Mm-hmm. But um, 
there's this great moment in the film that's like really wonderfully underplayed. A lot of the film's quite underplayed. Yeah. Where it, it gives you this very, how can I put it, sort of subtle exploration of just how powerful Andrew's become. And in a lot of other films that go for something far more dramatic and shocking. Mm-hmm. But in this, he just, just basically does this very small thing, and you think, "Whoa!" Uh, and you can see he's, <laughs> he's going the wrong way down exactly. the wrong path as well. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's uh, I won't I won't spoil, but it's it's very well done, and it's kind of like a lot of the films quite subtle like that. Yeah, he he enters a talent show because one of his friends That's spurs him on that. to do yeah. it. Well, it's, it's Steve who's the much more popular one. He introduces yeah. him at a talent show. And he's basically like, you know, he's um, trying to sort of like bring him out of his shell. Yeah, exactly. Because and he's make quite him shy. Like, well, well, to be liked by the rest of the students, which yeah. it's kind of works as and well. He, it? And obviously, he could do something a lot more fantastic than what he does, but he basically just does sort of like simple tricks, but you know, with, with like really manipulating like gravity and you know, yeah. like he's, he sort of does juggling, but then he's doing he's other stuff at the same time on a tight rope and that. Yeah. But it's it's done really well, and I think that uh, the the amount of things they could have done wrong in this film mm-hmm. that they didn't, like you say, it's all been downplayed, and it's, mm. yeah, it's, it's it's just nicely done. It's a great little film. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, and I will get around to watching the uh, extended cut. Yeah, same see. here. Hopefully, um, it might add to the film, but if if it doesn't, mm-hmm. that's all got the already cut. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Chronicle, um, nice uh, sort of a uh, low key uh, sci fi movie, and if you enjoy. Um, you know, if you enjoy sci-fi, if you enjoy uh, sort of films about telekinesis and superpowers and yeah. things, uh, if you like Akira, you like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thumbs up from us, definitely for for a pound for the Blu-ray. Absolutely. Cool. <laughs> right then, last one up is the Voices, uh, the mm. 2014 movie directed by I think it's Marjorie Trappy, yeah. who's more well known for directing Persopolis yep. from a few mm-hmm. years ago now. Which was very popular. Yep. It stars Ryan Reynolds, Gemma Arterton and Anna Kendrick. Uh, and basically trying to sum up the plot. Um, There's a bit of a thankless task. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds <laughs> plays Jerry, who works in a bath factory in Patagon. Uh, but he's got a crush on, on one of the girls in accounts. Um, but is he all he seems? Because his pets talk to him. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's about as good as I could have yeah. it as well. I didn't realise he voices the pets as well. Yes, he does, Because yeah. um, for uh, a while I thought the cat was Peter Mullen. Because oh, <laughs> of the Scottish uh, thing going on. <laughs> well, apparently he based the voice of the cat on a, a Scottish friend of his he's known for over 20 years. Ah, right. Yeah. Mr. Whiskers. Good, good mate of his, yeah. <laughs> so the film quickly moves from being like a quirky comedy yeah. about a socially awkward guy. Uh-huh. Like you say, trying to impress the girl on the counts. And trying to catch her Who eye. doesn't really want anything to do with him, really. Yeah, and it's actually yeah. a bit of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. And she quite often plays horrible roles like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns into something quickly a bit far more well, far more sinister than that. It is. But I think the bit that really sort of brought me in was uh, what all I can call is the reveal. Yes. Do you know indeed. what I mean? Because yeah. we haven't really talked about this before re- recording this. No. So in the film, he's got a court-appointed... Psychiatrist. psychiatrist who says keep saying them are you taking the pills is any, are you hearing anything um, yeah. so that they know what's wrong with him and exactly. basically he should be on these pills but it turns out he's not exactly yes <laughs> and this is where things get a bit dark now Fraser mentioned that um, he has uh, he's both of his pets talk to him he has a cat he calls Mr Whiskers yeah. and also a dog called Bosco yeah. and Bosco is basically a... like the, the sort of voice of reason yeah. Well, Mr. Whiskers is the one who's telling him to do bad things. <laughs> He's just an evil little sweary ginger cat. 
Yeah. And the effects are spot with on. With a like, Scottish accent. Yeah, with right. a Scottish accent as, as well. So it does sound like something from train spotting, doesn't it? <laughs> but um, yeah, he's he's just a little evil little thing. Uh, but the dog's big, dopey, and lovable, and that. Yeah, and, he and he's won't... he's got a kind of like he's he's got a kind of dopey voice. Yeah, you're a good boy, Jerry. Basically, uh, as we mentioned, the girl in the camp that he likes, um, it's Fiona, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. She's quite she's quite a horrible person, and she she pretty much agrees to go on a date with him without yeah. really wanting to. And it just stands him up totally. And pretty much stands him up. And then when he's on his way home, it, after waiting in this restaurant and embarrassing himself and mm-hmm. kind of being stirred up. He drives home, and she's been out partying. She's been out partying with a friend, yeah. uh, Lisa, who's also like a sort of major character. Mm-hmm. And um, he basically sees her, um, and he offers well, her a lift. He rescues rescue her from a, yeah, di- a dilemma. She gets stuck; a car breaks down or something. Chucking yeah. her down rain, yeah. so she's drenched in that. And he he offers her a sort of hand and takes her home. But then things start to turn a bit. But then, even then, when you think about it, when he picks her up, I've just thought he doesn't really sort of say, oh, where were you? He doesn't really give her a hard time about it. No, he, he doesn't. He's dead, like, but that's the thing. Is he's, he's dead easy he's a, going. He's a forgiving yeah. guy and he's he's kind of, in some ways, naive. Yeah. You know, he doesn't realise that she's actually really doesn't like him. So it's, it's a weird film. It's got talking animals. He's, you've got a psychopath. <laughs> um, you've got pink uniforms. Yeah. <laughs> We're not really spoiling anything because of the fact that in the trailer it shows you this and the whole premise of the film's outlined in like the trailer is that he obviously kills Fiona. Yeah. Um and hacks her body to pieces and puts the, the head but in the fridge. Saves the head in the fridge because the head then starts to talk to him. Yeah. Which exactly. is just bizarre. It's just weird. And <laughs> and that's what's interesting about the film is that he's able to ignore all the terrible things he's done and it's like say life's like this cartoonish sort of like lovely place to be mm-hmm. and even the sort of severed head in the fridge which is clear evidence of, of his like uh, wrongdoing yeah. is talking to him and being praising him and saying nice things to him yeah when he's on his meds it's just the grim reality he's, he's, he's murdered sort of I mean, pushes head yeah. in the fridge I and, mean, what, what I bet and his apartment's covered in gore and yeah and there's tupper, <laughs> evidence of his, his Tupperware wall Yes, and body parts. That was just vile. That wasn't it. Yeah, I mean, because he because there's basically a scene where it shows you him putting all of the severed parts in loads of Tupperware boxes, but there's absolutely tons of them. Yeah, stacked upon stacked upon stacked, and there's uh-huh. like something like you know eighty to hundred of them just making a wall. Yeah, that's just bizarre. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a strange little film. I mean, what I would say for Ryan Reynolds, it's quite a daring part for him. Well, definitely. Because, I mean. I, I can only think of a handful of films I've seen him in, but they've all been pretty rubbish. Yeah. So the only only way I, I mean, can describe... I mean, he's been in a lot of, like, sort of silly kind of, like, uh, banal Hollywood comedies. Yeah. Um, and R.I.P.D. <laughs> and Green Lantern. <laughs> which we which won't go seen, into. But, uh, I've not but seen either of them. What I would say, because of this and Deadpool, it's almost a bit like a reconnaissance for him. Yeah. Yeah, and definitely. definitely. I would say maybe this one might have been the start of it, because mm-hmm. it's quite an... Ed- well, no, I wouldn't say edgy role, because the way he plays it, but... It's just... Well, it's an edgy film. Yeah, edgy it's, role, maybe. it's a funny, funny um, story. Because evidently it had been a, one of these lists in Hollywood about mm-hmm. unfilmed scripts that should have been made mm-hmm. for years and years and years. And somebody had the, the, the sort of balls to take it on. Well, not in this case, it was a lady director, but obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah, somebody took it on. And I think they made a pretty good stop at, uh, stab yeah. at it. I mean, it didn't set... <laughs> yeah, stab, that's a wrong word. Um, it didn't set the box office alight, but... No, but it's an impressive film in many yeah. ways. I think, I mean, it... There is there's quite an important flashback in the film to to his unhappy childhood and he yeah. has he has an imaginary friend called the uh, Bunny Monkey. Yes. Who is basically a sort of rabbit puppet. Mm-hmm. 
uh, that he talks to in his own voice. He's and kind of that kind why of, his pets talk. Yeah, yeah, and he's got a really unhappy childhood. Mm-hmm. He grew up in Berlin like during times the times of trouble and everything. Yeah, and his his father is obviously like abusive and that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he you seems to use this as a coping mechanism. Yeah, I mean, there's darker things happen then, but we won't yeah, give those away because sure. they're, they're sort of integral to the the through line of the film. Yeah, and and basically, um, we get like this kind of he goes to his old apartment in one scene in the film. He goes to his old like home. When yes. he came to America, like, yeah. um, and that kind of triggers a lot of unhappy memories for him. Mm-hmm. And by this point, he sort of um, become he's become closer to to the other girl from accounts who Fiona was friends with Lisa. Yeah, and he sort of de- and he seems to be about to develop a relationship with her, like a genuine, proper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like you know, where it's reciprocated, and she's actually quite a nice person. Well, she's she she has the hots for him. Yeah, she from, does from, from the, the very go. beginning. Yeah. Even when he's into even when he's into. Um, Fiona, Fiona she yeah. she really likes him, and it starts to go down this path that could it sort of starts to be a bit cruel to the viewer in the fact like could she actually save him? Mm-hmm. But obviously that's not going to happen, and that gets to like the really sort of dark territory of the film where you know there's going to be a point where what he is is revealed to her and it's yeah. going to be horrible. And oh it is. yeah, it is. It's it's, it's yeah. for for a film that's kind of a lot of people would see as a comedy. It's a really difficult scene to watch. That's maybe that's why it sort of didn't go down well at the box office, mm. you know, because the reviews are like, "Well, is it this? Is it that?" Yeah. Because when it's dark, it's dark. I mean, the, all the way through the film, uh, Bosco the dog keeps on reassuring Jerry that he's a good person. Yeah. And you know, like Mister Whiskers only has nasty things to say about uh-huh. him, about how he's useless and he calls him gay and all sorts of stuff, yeah. doesn't he? And he's like saying about like, oh, he's really goads him, yeah. Yeah, and but like Bosco's always like, you know, don't listen to him. You're a good boy, Jerry. You're a good boy. <laughs> and then um, and then there's one scene in the film where he's like, you know, when I said um, there was an invisible line between good and evil, uh-huh. and um, and the, he thought you'd stepped over it, and I said, no, you're a good boy. Well. I've changed my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> and it's bizarre. quite a funny line, but it's it also is. quite a poignant turning point yeah. in the film where you think, I felt sympathy for this character, even though we know he's done terrible things. Uh-huh. But, but now but, his voices are turning him against him. Yeah, yeah his, like, his so, own imaginary yeah, friends are exactly turning against, against him. him. Yeah, it's bizarre. And um, it's, you know, he does he does some terrible things, but you, can, but you still have sympathy for the character, and that's quite an impressive thing in some ways, I think. Um but it's that scene where Lisa discovers exactly what he is. It it is really hard to watch. And yeah. She discovers all the body parts in like Tupperware and like the uh-huh. fact he's got bits of gore all over his apartment, blood stains oh, on blood his on walls. The, yeah, and, on the lampshades and stuff. It's and just... and you know, like many sort of like characters in these sorts of films, you discover that like somebody they're involved with is like a killer. She tries to sort of placate him and stuff. And yeah. You know, uh-huh. And it, and you know, like say that you won't tell you one, and it, it's just so. You, you just know it's going to turn out bad. <laughs> yeah, you really do. And um, it's it's just um, that sort of uh, conflict between how you should feel about the character and what the film's shown you. It's it's really it makes for a really interesting film. Mm. I mean, there are some quite funny bits in it, but you couldn't really call it a comedy. It's not sort of. It's a smirky sort of film. It's not like a laugh out yeah, loud. Yeah, it's not film. a laugh out loud like hilarious yeah. comedy. Uh-huh. It's, a lot of the jokes are clever and stuff, and yeah. there's some bits that make you laugh, but uh-huh. but you couldn't you couldn't really call it an out and out comedy. No, film. so I think that's where it's kind of it's it's fell between the cracks yes. in some respects. So I think that if you go into it expecting it to be like a sort of dark and funny film, mm-hmm. and a, like a dark black comedy, you're not necessarily going to get exactly what you what you set out to get. You know, it's, no. But if you're expecting a full blooded horror film, then it mm-hmm. sort of cops out there a bit as well. It's it's just. 
Uh, it's so, somewhere between. Yeah, it is somewhere. I mean, it's strange enough that I've got written down that some of the uh, darker parts are sort of more akin to Henry Potter yeah. and Killer, which is yeah. a grim, grim film. You've yeah, seen true. It. Yeah. Um, but then it ends with a sort of uh, really interesting uh, <laughs> chirpy song and dance song and routine. Song and dance routine, yeah, with Jesus. <laughs> with Jesus. <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> odd, odd film. Odd. Um, I don't know if if I, I definitely will have to watch it again. And it is worth it's a, a film that really deserves rewatch. Yeah, uh, deserves a rewatch. I think it's it's got so much to it. Mm. We haven't really talked about the psychiatrist character, but she, but like, she is sort of important to the film. But I felt like the use of her in like the sort of last half of the film could have been better. Yeah, like when he actually when she discovers he's done something wrong and that he hasn't been taking this medication and mm. that she's concerned that he's you know stepping over the line. Um. I felt like maybe that could have been used a little bit more effectively. Mm. Like I think that maybe like some of the territory it went into there, like could have been a bit better done in some ways. Yeah, I suppose it's a bit, it's a bit predictable what happens and sort of at least a plot. In some ways, as well. in some ways, yeah. in some ways, it's really not. Ah, oh, yeah. But uh, but yeah, there there are like a few things in the sort of in like the kind of third act, if you like, which maybe could do without. Well, it's just trying. To, I suppose it's just trying to tie up all the threads, isn't it? By by yeah. that time. And then sort of people at work are starting to figure out well, where's so-and-so gone and, mm-hmm. yeah, getting suspicious as well. But it's, uh, yeah. In fact, that reaction of the guy running down the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> That's spot on. But, uh, yeah, you'll have to watch the movie to find out. Interestingly, you bought it on Amazon Prime? Yeah. Uh-huh. Was... Oh, I, I sort of rented it on Amazon Prime. Yeah, yeah. I bought it. You can buy it in HMV for like four ninety nine, mm-hmm. And it's got all all the bells and whistles on it, but I haven't had a chance to watch it. I just managed to watch the film. So I went into it quite cold. So I may sound sort of very indifferent about it, but I do think it's definitely worth worth a watch. It's, yeah. it's different. It actually made it to the pictures over here. I, I don't know. It's not a very theatrical film, really, is no, it? In the no. grand grand scheme of things, it's so nothing. It's, it's nothing's lost by watching it on uh, on video. Yeah. But if you like sort of dark films and quirky films and unusual films and films that really make you like, um, that sort of. Uh, they make like force you to sort of uh, make a decision as a viewer about where you stand on something. Yeah. It's like because, like I say, you know, you, you sort of want to like Jerry, but you, you get to a point in the film where you can't excuse nah, what he's done. Just, yeah. It's like a confrontational film in a way. You know, it makes you think and feel stuff, and that's always. I what mean, he doesn't really change. any piece of art you'd set out to do. Really. The character doesn't really change from start to end, but it's just his actions in it. You just go, no, he's just the yeah. same all the way through, just whether or not he's on the drugs or not. Which, yeah, <laughs> the drugs don't work, I'll do it. Right. <laughs> we'll wrap that one up then. Indeed. <laughs> thanks, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening to Video Drone. And what I'll do, if anybody's out there can think of any movies that you, you've probably listened to enough episodes by now, mm-hmm. think of anything that you might want us to have a look at, and we'll see if we can squeeze something in. So nothing too obvious, something a little bit off the beaten track, and mm-hmm. we'll see what we can do. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Drop we'll us a line on Twitter or add it to the show. Yeah. Um, or buy our email, which is on the website and on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, or the you know, we've got a Facebook group you can join as well. Cool. Video drone podcast, and it's uh, it's open to to anyone joining. You don't have to be a mod or anything like that. Oh well. So cool. yeah, and uh, we'll see what you can, what we can turn up. <laughs> <laughs> right, thanks, guys. <laughs>